Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. But again, this is your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly to ask your questions and voice your concerns. Whatever's on your mind, speak with the Premier one-on-one. Just keep it short and respectful. All right, now Premier Danielle Smith, ready and waiting to take your calls or texts. The numbers once again in Calgary, 403-974-8255. Five at Edmonton, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Premier Smith, welcome to the show. Hello, Wayne. Now, I, I, I think you've got to feel like you're sort of living in that movie Groundhog Day because here we are all over again with uh, on the questions about contacting prosecutors. Now, bear with me as I eventually will get to the point, okay? Last week on this show, you clarified that at no time had you communicated directly with prosecutors about certain COVID-related cases. Now, that didn't satisfy your critics and some political observers who followed up this week with various accusations as you're flip-flopping on this issue. Now, just when it appeared that the dust may have been settling just a little bit, the CBC reported on Thursday that a staffer in your office sent a series of emails to the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service challenging the Crown's position on cases stemming from those uh, Coots border blockades and protests. Now, let's be clear. If those allegations are true, and so far they are just that, they're just allegations, well, then it is a pretty big deal, political interference, because as you noted on last week's show, when you took office and were given, uh, shall we call it a politician's handbook on legislative behavior, you were told what's proper and what's not. Now, the CBC report also says it hasn't seen the emails. A spokesman for the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service says, It has not been provided with the emails. The Crown Attorneys Association says it's not aware of any case where a staffer or elected official contacted the Crown about a prosecution. Now, I have to believe that at the very least, there's going to be some kind of of an investigation. Word today is that you've called a caucus meeting. So what's your response to all of this? Well, Wayne, last week I said, uh, and I'll say it again, Politicians cannot talk, cannot contact Crown prosecutors. We're not allowed to do that. The only contact I can have with the department is my attorney general and deputy attorney general. Any conversations I've had have gone through those appropriate channels. So I have not been in contact with Crown prosecutors. My I've not provided direction to any of my staff to be in touch with Crown prosecutors, and I have no knowledge of anyone on my staff having done so. And you're right, it is a serious allegation because... If a staff member had been in touch with a Crown prosecutor, we'd obviously have to take appropriate action. But I, I would underscore just what you said. The CBC has said they don't have the emails. They did not provide us with names. And so I have asked for our independent public service to do a review of emails. I want to see um, if there has, uh, I want to see what they find out. They've How in-depth is that going to be, Premier Smith? They, they, we have an IT department that can look at all of the emails that have been received by Crown prosecutors and assess it against all of my staff and see if if this email that the CBC is making reference to even exists. And so... To put it into context, how many... uh, Oh, gosh. There's 400 Crown prosecutors and I have 34 staff. So it's going to take the full weekend. I I believe that we'll have the results of that early next week. And once I've done the review... they are looking at all of those emails to see if there is any credence to these allegations. Correct. Yeah. We've got... And uh, as soon as we get that response back, we'll, uh, we'll we'll make sure the results are public. So your caucus meeting today is not with the intention that 
heads will roll, so to speak. Look, I, I want my caucus to understand uh, the nature of the story, the fact that they've done uh, a, a clarification that they don't have emails. They launched with a story that uh, we are now having to to verify. And I want my caucus to just be patient to, so as we go through the process. And uh, as soon as we see if the emails uh, exist, then we'll make sure that we have a, a, a presentation to the public. We'll know next week. If there are indeed emails and from what we have we know so far that it's just an allegation but if there are would you agree that it stretches credulity that a staffer knowing what's proper and what isn't would send anything of such consequence without someone higher up having knowledge as i said it is uh, all of the communications i've had with the department have been appropriate it has been uh, through my attorney general and deputy attorney general, I, I was given legal advice very early on that that is the only appropriate way for me to be able to have those communications. And so uh, that's what I've done. And right. they've given me advice and I've taken it. Now, last week, the leader of the NDP called for an independent investigation. That was last week's uh, uh issues. Uh, this was reiterated yesterday by an NDP MLA regarding this latest issue. Is an independent investigation warranted? Uh, the, I think we need to do a review to see if the uh, to see what, if the email even exists. And when I, I when I get the result back from the public service, then I'll, I'll have more to say at that point. But the fact that the CBC was not able to produce an email says they don't have it, says they've never seen it. Um, I've got to do that background work before I would, I would prejudge anything. All right. Now let's switch gears. Give you a chance to talk about some positives the affordability program portal seems to have done what you assured us that it would minimal disruptions although there is a call for expansion what are those plans uh students i believe are going to be uh, next well let me just say something about our our public service how amazed i am by them because we, we conceived of this portal uh two months before it actually launched on january the 18th and our ministers, uh, Nate Glubish in charge of technology and innovation, and Matt Jones, who's affordability and utilities, worked like they, they worked nonstop to make sure that this portal would be up and running. I know that the opposition were constantly uh, talking down the public service, saying, "Oh, it's going to crash. It's not going to work." And sure enough, we launched it, and there was no crash. There was a period of about an hour where it was a little slow because so many people were using it. But in that period of time, there was only there was still ten thousand applications processed. As of 4 o'clock yesterday, uh, there's over 355,000 applications have been processed. The portal remains open for people to apply, and we'll, we'll, we'll have the first payments go out January the 31st. But this was the reason why we wanted to do this. Everyone said, well, just use the CRA. Just get the federal government to do it for you. If we'd done that... Not only would the payments have come too late, because people need them now. We are in the middle of an affordability crisis. Hey, I just got my electricity bill. Well, Whoa. completely. This is the <laughs> time. Christmas lights, not next year. Completely. <laughs> this is the exact time that people need to have the support. The electricity. We've also done an electricity rebate, and we're giving some uh, some price protection on natural gas. But because of the federal carbon tax, people's home heating bills are going up yeah. too. We knew we needed to get this out, and we also knew that we needed to develop this capacity in our public service. And I'm very proud of them. I uh, I think that this allows for us to be able to. Create Create a model that we can that we can start digitizing in other areas and make the experience of people interacting with government so much better. I'm just I, I can't tell you how delighted I am that uh, the, that the critics and the opposition were dead wrong. All right, uh, as I uh, asked, uh, kind of missed that one. Uh, is this going to be expanded to uh, other areas? I 
I'm I'm going to 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 talk with with Matt Jones about that, my Minister of Affordability and Utilities. There are other things that we need to do, and we're we're contemplating some some support for for students. Uh, I don't want to prejudge how that will go because the the uh, the advice has to go through our caucus and our cabinet. But we're actively talking about how we can give some support for okay. students. Let's go to the phones because this show is not about me putting the premier on the hot seat. It's about our callers and those on the text lines who want to chat with you. Joan has a call from Edmonton on that $100 question. Joan, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Oh, good morning, Danielle. Hey, Joan. Um, Thank you uh, for the $100. I haven't received it yet, but um, I am a senior. Now, I have a question for you. How how do you decide or how does your caucus decide who receives this $100? I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. So first of all, the application process we're going through is to get everybody onboarded so that there can be a single transfer coming out at the end of each month. So uh, check your bank account on January the 31st because that's when we're uh, that's when the first payment will, will, will be delivered. There are others who will get the payment automatically because they're on one of our social supports, whether it's seniors benefit or if it's PDD or H. Those, are the, uh, those will be automatic because they're already in our system. For anyone else, there was an application process, which I gather only taken about six or seven minutes to go through so this is working pretty efficiently um so uh, the reason we, we we were talking through how do we make sure that we're targeting the support to those most in need and uh, families in particular ha- are experiencing uh, extra cost because of the inflation crisis that's a, a about 70 or 80 dollars per person per extra person in the home so that's why we ensured that we were going to support children in families because we know that those extra costs of activities of extra food of all of the extra the larger houses so you've got higher home heating bills higher higher electricity bills that's part of the reason why we wanted to target our our, our our kids the other thing was seniors we we know that seniors have additional extra pressures uh fixed income but then the, the rising cost of pharmaceuticals as well and also home heating all right. and uh, electricity so those were those were the three groups that we thought was important we we wanted to make sure that we were targeted it that we were targeting to those who were uh middle income uh, is what is the is the way we looked at it and in discussions over how we support families through child care uh the child care program between the federal and provincial government they phase that program in for anyone with a family income under one hundred eighty thousand dollars. so we thought we may as well try to find some consistency in defining what middle income families are and that's the reason we came up with that number all right we're going to pause for a break i'm wayne nelson i'll be back with premier danielle smith and more of your calls and texts when we return on your province your premier if you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta, right here on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. This is your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. All right, uh, let's go to the text lines. Why would Danielle Smith appoint Preston Manning at over $200,000 for six months' work? This stinks of political patronage. I'm 64. It will be the first time I will not vote conservative. Shameful. Well, first of all, I would say this: it's a, it's going to be almost a year's work. He'll be he'll be working in for 11 months on this project, and when you when you wanted to do a review of of uh, our past COVID response to get ideas about what we need to do for our next COVID response, to do a review of the legislation. You need someone who has stature so that there's credibility to the process. 
Now, Preston had already um, indicated that he wanted to do this at the national level. Uh, he was the spokesman for a, a citizens initiative that was doing this. And we just said, you know what, you already are, are on this. You've done a bit of work. Can you, can, you, can you vacate all the other things that you're doing to come and help with us with this project? Because we think it's important. We think it's important for us. Uh, on a go forward, should we ever end up in this situation again, that we, we that we've done an assessment of what went well and what we can improve. So I wanted to make sure it was somebody who was of high stature, who knows how, how to do this, who's been in the public eye, so that people could have confidence in the outcome. And when you ask somebody who's a high profile person to give up everything else that they're doing, sometimes you, you have to be willing to pay for it. So I, I, I acknowledge the, <clears throat> the concern that was raised. But I think from a, a future, uh, from, from the point of view of making sure that we've got robust processes in future, I think we needed to have someone of his stature in the position. All right, let's go back to the phones. Gene is calling in from Calgary on a flood protection question. Go ahead, Gene. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Premier Smith. Um, my name's Jean, as uh, your host suggested, and I live in the Calgary community of Bowness along the Bow River. And in 2013, our home um, was flooded by groundwater, actually not by overland, causing significant flood damages. And, you know, so I'd like to hear some of your thoughts about equitable flood protection for the Bow River communities in Calgary. Um, I understand that, you know, the communities on the Elbow River and downtown, they'll be afforded both groundwater and overland flood protection for up to a one in 100 year event um, through both the construction of the Springbank Offstream Reservoir and the raising of the Glenmore Gates. Um, and I just think, you know, with oil revenues where they are today, now is a really good time to invest those dollars in flood mitigation for Calgary, specifically for Bow River communities. I and, you know, just one, other, one yep. last point I'd like to make is that, you know, the right solution, it won't only protect against flood, but it'll also protect against drought, provide better water management strategies, and provide green power energy. So, you know, today's, now's the time to invest in sort of a generational solution for Bow River communities and the province. It's, it's, a, it's such a great point, and I completely agree with you. The, uh, the Springbank Dry Dam was an elbow river solution, and we still need to have a Bow River solution. So I just want uh, people to know that we were proceeding with the mitigation on the Elbow River and the Bow River. We're in the process, as I understand it, of evaluating. I've spoken with our Environment Minister, Sonia Savage, about this. We're in the process of evaluating three different sites that may be able to provide the uh, the kind of protection that you're, you're discussing. And, and what I would like to see on the Bow River is that we have a multi-use approach because when you can create a reservoir that allows for you to not only do the upstream flood protection, you can also use it for recreation, you can you can um, have hydroelectric power, and you can also help our, our agriculture users down south if we're able to use more of that for irrigation. And so I think that there's going to be a very robust Pr proposal that we'll be able to to contemplate but i think that the independent environmental review has to be completed first i don't think that work is going to be done if i remember my conversation correctly until november and then we'll, we'll have more to say about it at that time but i, I totally agree with you it, it is a, a missing piece in protecting calgary and we've got to get on it okay marianne calling in from calgary with a health care question go ahead marianne you're on with premier danielle smith 
Uh, thank you for your time, Premier. And uh, if I may, I just have a few points to ponder. I don't need an answer, just some observations on health care I'd like to pass along. But before that, if I may, I'd like to really strongly suggest to uh, Program Director John Voss that he move Calgary next, give you the extra half hour if you want it, especially before the May election, because this program is very popular. People want to chat with you. But on to my health care observations. Uh, my dad is in long-term care, and I know everyone is really trying their best. And I try to thank the nurses every time I'm in there. However, I sense some strong frustration. One nurse tells me that uh, her union doesn't help, so maybe that needs to be revisited as far as staffing. Also, uh, I'd like to suggest, again that AHS management be cut by half. For example, I'm not sure why there are four managers on one ICU unit, and the nurses say that this doesn't help, it's more of a hindrance. And when I actually called into your predecessor, Jason Kenny, and suggested, and it's on the record, that he cut management by half, AHS management, he basically brushed it off and said that would not make a difference at all. Personally, I think it would get some more frontline workers, and I'm really asking Albertans to give you a chance to make these changes because I really want to see what your team will do. I'm really strongly supporting uh, your uh, suggestions, the latest ones, uh, recommendations. So uh, thank you for letting me get this off my chest. Uh, and again, great job. And again, I really hope Albertans will give you a chance to put all these changes in place because we really need them. Oh, thank you so much for that. And I, I share your frustration. I, I know that we have to do better in long-term care. And and, so, and, and, and that's part of the conversation that I've had with uh, Dr. John Cowell is how do, how do we make sure that every part of the system is working appropriately so that we, we as it turns out we we have over 500 people who are awaiting placement in long-term care so we know we need to expand long-term care we also know that the number one thing most people ask for is to be able to age in place at home and i've been told that if we could put more resources into home care and into um, doing the renovations on on people's homes that we would be able to support people in a more comfortable environment a home environment longer so those two pieces of work are in process and and so I, I'm, I'm really hoping that we'll be able to improve the the outcome that you're seeing um, at, on the front line in your in your care center that the second part is management there is no question that we have too much management, too far away from where the decisions need to be made. And um, one of the, the the reviews that Dr. John Cowell is doing is how can we maintain all of the things that we got as a benefit of centralization, with but we have to return more local decision making to the individual facilities. And I can I can tell you one of the reasons why Alberta Health Services centralization worked well is the, the prime example is the delivery we got this week of children acetaminophen. That we've got the procurement department that was able to go out into the world find five million doses, and we got our first two hundred and fifty thousand bottles on Wednesday, I believe it was. And so we'll and we'll be getting the others over the course of the the, the coming weeks. And so that is one of the examples of the kind of things that we can do because we've got a good department doing good work on procurement and purchasing power, but then they're also micromanaging uh, whether to change light bulbs in in, uh, emergency rooms and who does the lawn mowing and can we order a couple of chairs to give extra seating. And that's where we have the problem. We've got to push more of those decisions down. And it may mean that those managers have to get relocated to local facilities, but that is is active work that is underway. And and trust me, I, I, I agree with you. Too many managers too far away from the people impacted by their decisions. We need more on the front line.
We have a lot of text messages coming in from both Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. I'll tell you that right now. They're, we're just been inundated as we were last week. But I'm going to try to uh, select some of the topics that we have not discussed or that relate to something that we have. Uh, and so, Danielle, we've got uh, a couple of health-related questions here. Uh, this one coming in from Calgary. My question is, in 2009, I was diagnosed with several illnesses, which led me unable to work. I average 25 doctor's appointments per month, and the little money I get is spent on gas and medical bills. I have been on CPP disability, uh, making just under 12000 a year. Why is someone in my position not eligible, and I'm presuming for the affordability uh, payment? I don't know how old that person is, but they must be under 65, based on what they said. Let me, um, I'll take that back to, uh, to, to Matt Jones, our, our utilities and affordability minister. We, we have to figure out ways to make sure that the help that, that we're offering is going to those who are most in need. And your situation that you described sounds like a, a bit of a missing piece. So let, let me see if I can go back to, to Matt Jones and see if there's some way that we can uh, add the, change the eligibility requirements. What we are hoping though, is that the other measures that we're taking are also going to be able to help, whether it's the uh, electricity rebate and the gas price protection and the uh, the removal of the of the fuel tax, which goes into the cost of every single thing you purchase in the province. So we are hoping that some of those measures will also alleviate some of the concern. But I, I take your point that there, there, there may be a, a little bit more work that we've got to do to make sure that those who, who really need the extra help can get it. All right, related question, uh, this one from Sandy. Uh, why do you deem it unnecessary to assist singles with low income who are not seniors do you believe that somehow we don't struggle? If you've answered this question, I missed it. Please repeat the answer for those of us that don't understand. Well, I guess the, the challenge is that how do you then define it? And we, we've really grappled with this. We've really struggled with this because we want to make sure that we're supporting a, a single mom who, who has who has one child um, in, in a, a way that's going to make, acknowledge the fact that they've got extra costs associated with, with that. But if you're also supporting somebody who is a sort of a 35-year-old oil worker who makes under the, the, the threshold, are you really targeting the support to where it's most needed? It, it's really difficult to try to get the targeted to support to singles. And we've been doing a lot of work internally to try to figure out how we do that. It's why we're having the discussion about how we can support students and recent grads. And this is just, uh, if, we could, if we can find a, a way of doing this where we are able to demonstrate to the Auditor General that we're still being responsible and we're still focusing it on those most in need, we're we certainly open to having those conversation. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that back again with Matt Jones. We've been struggling with it and we just haven't found the right answer. All right. Bob is calling in from Cochrane on a UCP policy and strategy question. Go ahead, Bob. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Danielle, and thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, quickly, uh, I do want to pass along congratulations on winning the leadership and the policies that you're bringing in to help with affordability, uh, delivery of health care, the Sovereignty Act. Um, my concern, I guess, Danielle, is um, uh, this uh, COVID response uh, investigation or inquiry that Preston Manning will be conducting. Um, I, I honestly question the value of it, and I also would urge that um, Albertans, we are, we are looking forward. The province is looking forward. 
And the NDP has been campaigning since last summer. And, Danielle, you've got so many good things that you're doing looking forward, present and forward. The compassion that you're showing here on this radio program is really impressive. I, I really urge uh, and, and like your observations on the balance and, and the need to, to keep looking forward, not backward, please. I, I take your point, and that's exactly what I've, I've asked Preston to do, is that I, I don't think that people want to have a rearview mirror look. I think they want to understand what went right and what didn't go so right. Uh, and uh, are we are we going to approach a pandemic the exact same way next time around? Because here's the problem that we have is that we had a pandemic plan in place and then the practices that took place over two and a half years were completely different than what was in the pandemic plan. And so now I think that there's a little bit of confusion about what do we do next time. And I want to make sure that there is no confusion. I want I want us to do a, an understanding of, of what worked and what didn't uh, so that we can make sure that when we do have these these new variants that come about or a new virus that comes about, that we, we have the processes in place so that people can have confidence that we, we know how to have the right balance there. So it is a forward-looking review. I must tell you, uh, almost all the other provinces have already done this, that they have looked at their legislative processes, they've looked operationally, and they've made recommendations about how to go forward. And we so, had a text message that came in on that very subject. Yeah. Uh, Premier Smith uh, says, please stop looking backward. Let us know what you plan to do for our yeah. future. But... Uh, adding, Danielle should have hired someone who is independent and not aligned with her views, i.e. Preston Manning, if she wants Albertans to put any credibility in the report. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I also needed somebody. It, it is true that, that uh, Preston Manning and I both shared a little bit of frustration that uh, the balance between lives and livelihoods was not always perfect in Alberta and not always perfect across the country. That is true. Um, but I've left it to him to identify the people that he needs on the panel from the medical profession from the legal profession, um, as well as from government, to give him the best advice he needs so that he can advise us. I think I think that that balance was really important to people. I think that um, here in the province, we did well in some regard and, and not uh, as satisfactory in others. Let's, let's remember, the reason why we had a change in leadership in our party is because of that dissatisfaction. And so I want people to know that I've listened to them, I've heard them, and on a go-forward basis, we're, we're going to see if we can do better, that uh, we can address the issues of safety and concern, uh, but we can do it in a way that, that also uh, ensures that we're not causing undue hardship. Because this is this is the worry that I have, Wayne, is that we're, we're now, part of the issue that we have in our healthcare system now is that we have a number of people who for two and a half years didn't go and get their proper medical checkups. And so we've got conditions where, um, and I've talked to Dr. Ross Sherman about it because he's been working in the emergency rooms, where people are showing up sicker than uh, than they ever did before because they they didn't get that ongoing treatment and and that's what you want to avoid. You don't want to have an action that the, ends up creating future harms. So that's the balance that we really need to have. And if um, if if Preston Manning can do the review, look at what's happened in other province, give us some advice about whether we need to make some changes, then then we'll then I'm prepared to hear that report on that moving forward. Basis. Moving forward, yes. Right. The report's not coming out until November t- uh, until November, and we are going to have access so people can share their stories and share their advice and put it to to Mr. Manning, but I, I agree. I think that people want a, f- a forward-looking document, and that's what I've asked him to give me. Okay. Willie has been hanging on for, uh, boy, quarter of the show. Uh, Willie, you are on next with Premier Danielle Smith on building electric vehicles. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning, Danielle. Hi. 
Yeah, I'm just uh, wondering. You know, it's all about creating a better world for our children, right? And what they're going to face. I don't know if you have children or not, Danielle, but the scientists are telling us there is warming. We're burning it up. So what is stopping us here in Alberta from building our own electric vehicles? You know, we could call it the Alberta Clipper. Make them cheaper, more numerous, and a waiting list. And... A two-part question, do you realize how many jobs would be created by investing in renewable resources available here in Alberta? Ten times the amount oil industry provides, maybe more, probably more. And if you give me time, we'll explain how it could happen. Uh, Willie, we but don't anyway. we don't have we don't have the time, but we've got your questions, yeah. and we'll let Premier Smith answer those. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. You bet. Let me t- let me start with where I agree with Willie. Uh, there is a huge opportunity in this province for lithium development, for hydrogen, for helium, for geothermal. We've got parts of the province that are really good for wind. We've got other parts that are good for solar. So um, I agree, but I think we also have to recognize that our oil and natural gas industry is transforming. They're transforming away from producing emissions and they're using incredible technology, carbon capture, utilization and storage. We've already stored 10 megatons of CO2 underground with Shales Quest project. We've got the carbon trunk line and we have a lot of enthusiasm on the part of other companies, the Pathways Group and various um, uh, other companies in the petrochemical sector to to do future production without producing emissions. I think we should support that and I think that we can do both. And when it comes to the kind of vehicles we're going to drive in future, I'm watching with great interest what is happening with the Alberta Motor Transport Association. I understand and they're in the process of changing out some vehicle engines for long haul vehicles so that they can use both biodiesel and hydrogen. And once we do that, we're we're going to be once we do that, we're going to be able to have a hydrogen infrastructure that we can build out all over the province, then we'll have more vehicles on the road like that. That may create an opportunity for us to recruit Toyota or Honda or Hyundai to come here and do a manufacturing for passenger vehicles. But there is a little, there's a few steps that we have to do first, but I, I, yeah, I share Willie's aspiration. Let's make sure that we have a vibrant, robust economy across the whole range of jobs, but let's do it in a way that uh, help support the, the the bread and butter of our industry, which is the oil and natural gas industry, which I think is at the lead of this. And they're very responsible. And that's the message the world needs to have. Okay. Text message coming in from Ched. Will you challenge the feds on the carbon tax again? The costs added on life necessities is absolute insanity with there being no accountability to show how this tax is stopping climate change. We cannot sustain paying this ludicrous tax Call an audit on the feds to show where the money is going. Uh, I am so frustrated by that retail carbon tax. I I mean, I I think that the companies are are fine to have pricing on industrial emissions. We've been doing that in this province since 2007. That's that's where it should have stayed. But to put a tax on people on their basic necessities as we're heading into winter, 90% of our power grid is natural gas. And almost 100% of our home heating is natural gas or other fossil fuels. So all this does is it imposes uh, costs on people at a time when they can least afford it. And it is extraordinary. People send me pictures of their their natural gas bill all the time and they're outraged at the amount of carbon tax there is. So um, this is something that um, I would ask our, our, our justice minister to take a look at. The advice I was given is that the Supreme Court is not inclined 
to review a case unless there's been some time between when they make their judgment and when we need to reassess. Um, so the guidepost is you, you can't really just keep on litigating things once it's been decided by the Supreme Court. You've got to, you've got to have new information. I think we have new information. We've got an affordability crisis. We've got an energy security price crisis. But I, I think we want to make sure that we're in a position to be able to win that. So in the meantime, we have just called on the federal government uh, to, to pause their increases. They're planning a 300% increase in the carbon tax by 2030, supported by the federal NDP. They have a coalition agreement that includes just transitioning our workers out of the out of the industry as part of their um, as part of their coalition agreement. But the other part of the coalition agreement is increasing. The, the fuel tax that is causing so much harm here by 300%. And so we, we have called on them to, to not do that. We've actually called on uh, the opposition leader to work with her federal leader to to, uh, to rescind that, that call as well. They, she has the, I think if she wants to demonstrate that she's got some power, she should demonstrate that she has influence over Jagmeet Singh, get him to drop the just transition legislation and get him to rescind his call for a 300% increase in the carbon tax. That would make a real difference to people. And the mean, so this is a political solution, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, John is calling in from Calgary on the independent investigation. Before we get to his phone call, I have a text message also on the independent investigation. It says, without an independent investigation, this government has zero credibility. The premier said she contacted them. It's on tape. They She walked it back because of blowbacks, now emails. As a citizen, I demand an independent investigation. Why won't she just announce such and be open and honest? It looks like two-tier justice in Alberta. I'll let you digest that, Premier Smith, and let's uh, hear what John has to say, I believe, on a related topic. Go ahead, John. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Well, well, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, very interesting text. That kind of steals my wind. Um, I feel the same way. Um, my concern is with all the comments made in the past by Premier Smith and saying that uh, what she did before and then walking it back, that there's zero credibility that's going to be moving forward if you come back and say it never happened. Um, the only way, in my opinion, that me as a citizen will take that outcome and, and make it believable and, and and have faith back in the system is for someone outside to take a look at this and, and really uh, look quite in depth. This is a very concerning topic to me. Um, I don't want my government meddling in the justice system based on what the beliefs are and do they align with the people who are in the system. I feel that that is a, a, a line that just can't be crossed and Frankly, I can't take your word unless I know it's out in the open. It's open and honest and transparent. This UCP government has had too many gotchas for me to believe them. I voted conservative for 30 straight years in this province, and I won't next, whenever the next election is in May because of it. That's my opinion. Thanks. All right. Well, well, thank you for your, your comment. You, you have to remember that uh, during my leadership, I, I had many people asking me whether there was an avenue for amnesty. Um, we have a number of public health orders that no longer exist. The people who enacted them are no longer there. We've lost a, a court case on this because one uh, health order was found to be enacted inappropriately. And it's in that context that I asked the Justice Department, the Attorney General, is is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction and is it in the public interest? That, that was what um, people asked me to ask of our top lawyer, which is, which is, the, uh, uh, which is the Attorney General, Tyler Shandro, and uh, his department officials. Like that, that is an appropriate thing to do. It's an appropriate question to ask. 
He came back, uh, his department came back and said, we're waiting on the result of a couple of cases and there is nothing we can do but be patient. And that is uh, the result that I accepted. And I've been waiting on the, on the result of the, of the court cases. I've allowed it to play, to play out. So I think we have to separate these two things. It is, it is perfectly reasonable for me to talk to my attorney general. It's perfectly reasonable for me to go through my Justice Department officials. What is unreasonable is contacting Crown prosecutors. That is against the law. That is something politicians cannot do. And when I was given the advice that we just have to allow these cases to play out, then I've taken that advice. And so we're waiting. Um, so that that's what I would say. I think that the, I think of our attorney general as our, our top lawyer. And so I'm, I've probably used imprecise language, but all of my dealings with the department have been appropriate. It's been through the attorney general and uh, department officials. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith, and we'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. -on -one. If you've got that specific question that's been nagging at you for days or weeks, and if you'd like the Premier to answer, well, here's your opportunity. The numbers 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. We're going to go to the texts uh, right off the bat, uh, Danielle. This one coming in from Calgary. Uh, I'm not sure who it's. Oh, not sure who it's from. I think it's from Sal, but I'm not sure. I hear reports of several small town hospital emergencies closing at times due to lack of staff. In your ads, you are going to have surgery being done in smaller out-of-town hospitals. Where are you getting the staff to implement this plan? I think we have to realize what has happened over the last two and a half years is that we've had a lot of frontline staff that have burnt out, that we've been operating the system at 100% capacity, and then when a surge comes, then they're already, they're operating at over 100% capacity. And that situation has gone on now for two and a half years and so we've got staff who've left the system, just I think because of the working conditions, because of stress. I've been told um, by, um, by frontline paramedics that the typical period of time that someone stays in that profession is five years. And we think, wow, like we're, we're, we're investing so much to attract people here, to get them in the system, to get them through school. And are we really burning people out after five years? So if we can create better working conditions, better environment, I think that we'll be able to attract some of those workers back. I, I also just discovered, actually, I know that Doug Ford just announced this in Ontario, that he's going to accept any doctors who've been trained and uh, certified by College of Physicians and Surgeons across the country. Well, we've already done that. We, we, uh, we, we passed that policy back in December of 2021. So any doctor can come here and within 20 days be able to, to have a license to practice. If they're from uh, overseas, we have a, a process in place where they can get a, a, a readiness to practice review. And so we're doing a lot of that recruitment also. Um, I'm working with our uh, health minister, Jason Copping, to ensure that we are able to expand the number of seats in our universities and colleges for all of the health professions. We're working to expand the scope of practice. So we've got pharmacists who are able to do more frontline primary care, nurse practitioners we want to be able to have do more, more frontline primary care. And once we can start doing those kinds of things, taking the pressure off of our emergency rooms, opening up more acute care beds, that will allow us to expand our surgical initiatives. So I'm, I'm very pleased that in the time that, uh, that Dr. John Cowell has been at Alberta Health Services, we went from having just more than, uh, we had, had, I think, 69,000 surgeries on the wait list 
uh, when he arrived on the scene, which was slightly more than where we were pre-COVID. Now we're down below where we were pre-COVID. Still too high, but we're getting or we're, we're getting there, and we're going to keep on, on whittling away at that right. at that list. Another question from the text line: Why are nurse managers allowed to give up their offices in the hospital and work strictly from home? That's a great question. Um, it shouldn't be the case. I know that across our public service, we've been given the uh, uh, they've been, we, we created a, a, an environment where you have to be on site three days a week and you can work from home two days a week. I think that's uh, replicated at the federal level as well. And uh, I can look into this with Alberta Health Services to make sure that they've got the, the same approach because if you're going to be a manager, you've got to be with people so that you can hear what their concerns are. So I, I hadn't heard that problem, but I, I can raise that. Another question just came in on the uh, text line. If there is found to be no justification for the accusation that your government contacted justice officials inappropriately. Will there be some accountability demanded from the CBC and the NDP who are making these accusations, such as a public apology? And I do just want to be very clear. There's a difference between Justice Department officials and Crown prosecutors. Crown prosecutors are a no-go zone. You you cannot contact Crown, cross, Crown prosecutors. They are independent. They make their decisions independently. And that has been the accusation, and that's why we're doing the review of emails to check the veracity of the, the claim of the CBC story. They were not able to produce emails. They've since written and admitted that they don't have them. They've never seen them. And so I first have to do my work of getting the, the Public Service Commission, uh, which is an independent entity, working with the IT department to go through and do the review. And if, if we if we we, if we find anything, we'll, we'll do a report on that next week. All right. Jim is calling in from Northern Alberta on government wages. Uh, Jim, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hey, Danielle. How you doing? Excellent. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I think it's about time we get our uh, financial situation back going here. And we're paying 20% above all other provinces for public service. When are you going to cut that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I, I'm going to give uh, Travis Taves, our finance minister, some praise on this because he, he made some really tough decisions over the last three years to make sure that we were holding the line on increases. The uh, the public service as well, uh, and I'll give Jason Copping some credit on this, between the two of them, they've already negotiated our, our, uh, uh, our collective bargaining agreements for the next couple of years. And so we do have some price stability. So that is, that is active, ongoing work. And I can tell you, we are in alignment in our cabinet and in our caucus. We've got to maintain um, balanced budgets and surpluses. We've got to develop a future plan for how we manage those surpluses, how we pay down our debt. And so those are the the active conversations that we're having right now. We'll see more when the when the budget comes out in February. Text message. The University of Calgary has announced that tuition is going up for a group that is already impoverished, that being for secondary students. We need these educated students in our work for us desperately. Why do you make it more difficult for them to get an education? That's coming in from Ron in Lethbridge. The, the, the decision to increase tuition is a decision from each of the, the universities, and we ha- we have the ability to direct what they what what those increases should be. We're, we're having a conversation right now through, through our caucus uh, policy discussion about how we might be able to help not only students who are in university, but also those who are recent grads. So we, uh, again, I don't want to prejudge the outcome of that because I do, I do really want to make sure that we've got buy-in on our caucus, but I can tell you every single one of our MLAs are getting exactly those same questions is what, what can we do to help the students? What can we do to help recent grads? So we, we'll have more to say on that in the, in the coming weeks. All right, we have time for one more question. We're going to go with uh, Diane in Calgary. She's been hanging on for over half an hour, uh, Premier Smith. 
Uh, go ahead, Diane. You are on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you about the opportunity in Alberta, since we have a lot of farmland, about building these large indoor um, vegetable sites. Uh, you probably have seen them. They are some down east and mostly in the States, where it's like a huge barn kind of a structure, metal structure, and they have shells on shells on shells that grow lettuce and vegetables inside so we can have it year-round. We're not paying or relying on the U.S. Like the problems with California, we can't, I'm paying $5 a head of lettuce that doesn't even last a week for one person. Uh, our vegetables are, you know, if you have it in this structure, you don't have to use pesticides. You can grow 24 you know, 24-7 throughout the whole year. And I think it would be a financial benefit for Canada if Alberta started growing these things. Like, I don't know what the structure is called. Is it, ver- is it vertical farming, I think? That's vertical farming, yeah. yep. Okay, very good, thank you. But I'm thinking we're a leader in, Alberta has been a leader in so many different things over the decades. We should actually start looking at something like this. And I would be, I'd like to know if you're interested in it. A hundred percent, Diane. I, I love it. I've actually purchased um, some some of that produce from a, a group called Deepwater Farms. So there already is one of those types of, uh, of urban farms. And who knows, Wayne, you'll probably get a few more saying, what about this and what about that? I'm sure that there are a number. And I, I, I do know that there was a, a, a group that was um, connected with Sobeys that I met with back in my business advocacy days that were very, very keen to do exactly what you say to set up so that they can have lettuce and they can have endive and all of the uh, the, the greens that you need close to home. So I I, uh, I haven't seen any applications come forward or heard any any concerns about those about permitting processes being stymied. So I think some of those are, are well underway. And I've always felt like that's one of the, the great uses that we can make of this captured CO2. We now have the ability to capture CO2. At the moment, we're burying most of it or using it for enhanced oil recovery. Why not capture it, uh, make a pure stream and use it to be able to support these this urban farming. So I, I thank you for that. I, I also, you should know that in, in my neck of the woods, I represent Brooks Medicine Hat. We are the greenhouse capital of Alberta and there's amazing produce that they're doing there. Most of it is, is year round. So I think that there are huge opportunities close to home to be able to do exactly what you're saying, Diane. And if there's if there's any um, any projects on the go, I'll, I'll make sure that I find out more about them so that we can we can celebrate some of that innovation. Premier Smith, uh, it has been a pleasure once again. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thanks, Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.